even if something has been done, doesn't mean that it's done on the best way uh, at the moment. Welcome guys to the fourth episode of the Entrepreneurial Mindset. My name is Babe. And I'm Edward. Today we're joined by another member of the Jenny family, Gabriel Huedes, who is one of the five key advisory board members with a whole background in the entrepreneurial space. So thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, so for the audience listening at home, do you mind just giving us a quick intro into who you are and sort of what you do in your time to time? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my name is Gabriel Guedes, but I go by Gigi, so it's much easier for everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm currently COO and CFO uh, at Leica, that it, which is a healthy dog food company that does uh, direct-to-consumer distribution. Um, but before that, I spent about 10 years as a management consultant uh, at Bain & Company. Oh, that's great. Uh, we mentioned before that you were part of the advisory board for Jenny. Um, how did that come to be? Uh, well, I got involved with Jenny as a mentor first. Um, so was with, uh, with Jack back in the day uh, as a mentor uh, on the uh, Initiative 48 and then to some of the other events. Um, and at some point, uh, got closer to Jack and sort of uh, uh, became a personal advisor for Jack until uh, there was a point where there was some uh, roles in the G board formally. And then Jack uh, invited me. I was uh, very fortunate to have him thinking of me. Uh, and then the rest is history. Yeah. So when, when you started off as a mentor, um, was that something that um, you thought was just going to be a one-off um, or did you just have some sort of feeling that you'll be sticking along with Jenny along the way? And what actually made you want to stay within that sphere of, you know, continuously being a mentor um, for all those high school students uh, along all those events, but also to carry it all the way through into becoming an official board member as well? Yeah. yeah well, when I started, I, I guess I, I, one obviously wants to stay long term, but it's hard to to assess, to know from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I, I but I think what I made me stay was the quality of the organization. So it's something that I wanted to be part of, and I felt that uh, the work that has been done is serious and sort of a being uh, impactful and changing lives of the of the students who went through the program, uh, and that made me uh, want to continue engaged. And then one thing it ends up leading to the other. I think. Uh, sort of passionate about the, the mission, therefore you spend more time uh, with the organization and then spend more time with the leadership and then one thing led to another. Um, so yes, I guess with the, the, why I stayed is because the way that the organization impacts people and I see that the passion from the team as well uh, in making this happen. Uh, so that makes me want to uh, help as much as I can. Right. So it's just, it kind of all worked like together, sort of you were influenced by that. And then also I, I know personally, um, uh, like it's 
might sound weird to say this, but I think Vabe and I knew of UGG uh, before even this call because mm-hmm. we actually had to edit a lot of promo material um, around I-48 and that sort of stuff. And so we saw you in videos and photos and just how much of an impactful role that you played. Um, and not only that, but I think we've heard quite a bit from Alan and Esmond and Jack, um, just uh, how influential you have been um and so i think it goes both ways um which is great to hear that jenny's both played a role for you and that you've played a role for us um but uh along those lines um so apart from also being a jenny board member i know that you've had a wide array of volunteering experiences um and so i was just wondering how much of an impact do you think that these volunteering experiences has played um, in your sort of personal development within the entrepreneurial space. Um, just because I know most people usually emphasize um, organizational work, you know, you should get a job, um, something that you get paid for rather than the volunteering side, which isn't talked about as much. And so like, how important do you think that's been for you overall? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. Because um, I did my career as a sort of more, I started my career as a more traditional career uh, in some senses, uh, going for corporate, working as a management consultant for uh, so many years. And um, I think that working in uh, two things actually brought me into uh, this, this startup space. One is uh, my partner, Anna, found in Leica back in 2018 uh, and starting her own entrepreneur. Uh, journey, which I was helping on the sides back in the day. And the second one was indeed uh, the sort of uh, more pro bono or um, helping some non-for-profits that had this startup uh, spirit on them, right? So Jenny obviously being the most uh, important one, the one I have been involved the most, uh, that certainly helped me to personally uh, get more into the ecosystem, get to know the people more, um, get to know uh, the themes that get discussed and uh, obviously balancing between that plus my knowledge as a management consultant plus my experience in supporting uh, Leica from the beginning. I think that definitely helped shape um, the advisor that I am today and even the investor that I am today uh, in the startup space. Right, yeah. And so I, I think as you've personally touched on is like something like the experience that you've had, like, and I guess the wisdom that you gained over the years, um, I guess wouldn't be as fruitful as it is now if you haven't had that volunteering side. And if it was just following that sort of traditional uh, sort of organizational role, which isn't to say that it's a bad thing, but I think, you know, it's like recommended that if you can, um, yeah. yeah, correct. I think uh, obviously being a management consultant, you're dealing with uh, a different level of scale in terms of the companies you're supporting, uh, which are usually ASX uh, 100 companies or global global companies. So translating, all, not everything that is applicable at that level translates well to the early stage uh, startup ecosystem. Therefore, uh, there are some things that are useful, but it's important to get uh, some other types of learning and um, uh, or different sources, I guess. Mm, that's true. Um, for context, what I was wondering about was um, how come Leica came to be? What um, initiated the creation of Leica? Mm-hmm. 
Well, Laika the company is started with Laika the dog. So Laika is uh, our dog uh, and, uh, and mine. And uh, back in 2015, Laika was having some health issues and um, she was not doing, she was very young still. She was like six years old and was already having some health issues. And uh, the vet said that she needed to remove some, some of her teeth, for instance. And that's when we start cooking for Laika at home. Mm. And then we saw how Laika improved then how well she did and um, and at the time Anna was uh, was living in San Francisco she uh, saw that in the US there were some companies that uh, could uh, provide similar services for Leica and then uh, uh, it's much more convenient way like than cooking every Sunday <laughs> you spend your uh, trying to cook for a dog for the whole week and then we saw there was an opportunity that that's a, pro, a product that is very helpful. And we saw as customers of that product, that's very good. Uh, then when we came back to Australia, 2018, we prefer coming back to Australia, we're, we're looking, is there anything like that uh, in Australia? And there wasn't. Therefore, we understand that, okay, there's a market opportunity here because we see the value of such a big product uh, that's so helpful in the US, while Australians that are so passionate about their dogs, very good, uh, passionate about lifestyle and being healthy, there was, there was a market gap. Uh, and that's when we moved to, back to Australia that we launched Leica, the company. Mm, that's very true. Right, right. Um, yeah. Then how did you, how does like a common question in like entrepreneurial spaces, how do you then differentiate yourself from competitors? Maybe building upon that on Leica or like just in general as well? Yeah. Well, building upon Leica, I think Leica has a, two main things versus traditional dog food. One is, well, have a superior, healthier product, mm. uh, which is something that I guess translates to any startup, right? If you're gonna build something, it needs to be something that the customer wants and is a better product than what's out there. Um, like I definitely was a pioneer in Australia uh, for uh, healthy diets. Uh, and now you can see more and more the space is, is sort of transforming, but always started. Uh, sort of back in 2018, uh, when Leica brought the concept. And on the other hand, we also innovate on the channel because we are direct to consumer. Also something that now uh, we might, after um, almost two years of uh, COVID or a year and a half of COVID, we are now saying that take for granted e-commerce, but um, back in 2018 as well was some innovation on bringing uh, the product direct to consumer on a subscription basis. So if you generalize that uh, to other startups, means that you need to have a product that will really be uh, fundamentally different to what's out there and the customers will believe it's better. Uh, can be mm -hmm. a, obviously the case of like is a physical product, but can be an app, it can be a, a software, it can be a service. Right, yeah, I, I think um, that's also a notion that's like, um, like not as discussed as much because when it comes within the entrepreneurial space, one thing that is amazing, especially with Leica, is that you were a pioneer in that space, um, which is so good to hear. But I think um, a lot of other um, startups or people that want to create a startup, they have this notion in their minds that they do need something that's never been done before. Um, and especially today that can be quite tricky um but like you said it wasn't only that you were the first but mm -hmm. that you it, it it's not like that you created the concept of dog food right <laughs> yes. um it's that you created a much healthier and better version than the generic 
versions of dog food product out there. And so for those that are listening, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity that, you know, it doesn't just has to be a novel thing. It can be something that's already been done, but just much better. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, no. yeah, correct. I think, um, and, and, and I would complement that, that even something has been done, doesn't mean that it's done on the best way uh, at the moment. Like if you mm. take dog food, for instance, has been, uh, has been around for uh, almost a hundred years now, a processed uh, dog food. And I think people took for granted for many, many decades that that's what you feed dogs. Um, and like a broth of a different view on the same product, and I think that can be extrapolated, I guess, uh, to many different markets, right? Every market that has been uh, around at some point was innovative. And uh, over time, many of them sort of uh, start not fulfilling the customer needs as the, they used to be before. And the trick here is always to identify something that uh, the market needs and people want to do different, not just doing differently for the sake of doing differently and inventing a product or mm. uh, necessarily trying to create a need that does not exist, but there's plenty of opportunity out there. Um, I think give, uh, you said, Seth Edward, that uh, particularly now people might feel that's difficult because virtually everything exists. But I'd also say that virtually now is the best time to identify opportunities because now there are so many ways to do things differently. Every single market can be done differently and there's lots of technology uh, and the niche markets as well uh, to be explored. I think if anything, uh, nowadays exhibits more opportunity than they would exist, say, even 20, 30 years ago, um, given that there's more access, there's more uh, uh, bigger markets, there's more tools available. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's very true. Um, I think uh, one one bit that you mentioned on the um, the bit that, dog food, you know, has been processed for like the last hundred years or so. Um, how were you able to make a dent in that market when, you know, people were so accustomed to dog food for so long? Because in my mind, personally, at least, I just think that, you know, oh, it's just dog food. That's just how it's meant to be. I, and um, I, I, at least, I don't own a own a dog i'd like to in the near future um because they're just amazing um but like how as a customer would you know that like oh this is bad for my dog or that you know i i need to change that up when it's you know been the status quo for so long um yeah i was just wondering do you is it word of mouth or is it advertising or so like how do you sort of crack through that yeah no, it's a, it's a very good question. That's a question that obviously we think a lot about it. Um, there are, I think, two, thing, two main pieces here. One is the, what the company can do about it, which I think that's where you're going. Uh, like ends up doing a lot of our uh, marketing and advertising is about education. So educating our customers on uh, what our product is, how to use it, why is it better, why uh, it's better for a dog to have a healthy diet. But on the other hand, there's also an underlying market trend that's not like we are going uh, facing an uphill battle. Um, as uh, people get more health conscious, they also started to think about not only their own health, but also the dog's health because they say, I, I eat healthy, I eat whole foods, I exercise, I do uh, all the things I can to get my um, uh, healthy diet and a balanced life. Why shouldn't my dog not also live their best life the way I live, right? 
so many people are actually starting to move this direction and start to research and only meet what Laika has to offer. That is as education and sort of explanations why uh, it's a better diet. Uh, those, those can go together. And I think a third uh, or a subset of the second factor is as well, the more processed dog foods over time are getting as well, uh, sort of the quality of those foods in general, like as an average of the market's getting lower and lower as obviously uh, time passes, optimization of supply chains, optimization of production, optimization of sourcing. We see uh, uh, worse and worse ingredients being used, which obviously cause the dogs to have uh, even more health effects, which makes many of the, the, dog, the owners to sort of a question, what am I feeding my dog? Why are they getting sick or why they're not uh, as healthy as they could or they're not at the prime health? Right. Yeah. So it's just sort of a recurring process and that, um, as like that emphasis on the education, which is obviously what we do at Jenny as well, right? <laughs> we're, we're emphasizing on that, um, sort of the freedom of entrepreneurial education, yeah. just because the access isn't there at, at all. So it's amazing yeah. to hear that, um, you're not just pushing to sell the product, but just general health education for people's dogs as well. Yeah. Correct. Um, and I think it just to complement that as well, is like, there is a, an importance that we should not understand the, understate the importance of the market shift. And that's what I'm saying here for Leica, but I guess for our audience, uh, everybody who is thinking about to be an entrepreneur, uh, being too early is also the same as being wrong in some senses. Mm. <laughs> because um, if you are look, fighting this uphill battle, trying to put a new customer trend or a new way to consume a product that the, co the customers are not ready yet, um, that's not gonna, uh, or you'll be very costly to be able to do it. Few companies have the capital and the muscle to sort of push this through. Uh, and they usually are gonna be li very large uh, companies, say like Apple that brings innovative products to the market that the customers might not even think they need before. Uh, but starting a small company from the bottom up, uh, that's a much harder uh, process to go through if you don't have the, the market trends uh, behind you. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's, it's definitely, um, an interesting point that you, you're saying to try and not to muscle it through, um, and to, I guess, just embrace what most people are going through now. Um, or, or more than that, I'd say, uh, when you're a, a good trait for a founder is not necessarily, uh, to, well, obviously, they need to have the, the, the sturdiness to muscle through if you need it. Yeah. <laughs> but also uh, understand very well their, pro their market, their customer, and therefore make a product that can fit that and can sort of uh, move together with the trends that are happening. Mm. And uh, ideally, identify those trends before everybody identifies it, right? And that's where the, a lot of value can be added uh, in creating something that's uh, innovative for a new market segment that's growing uh, and then over perhaps a decade that market segment perhaps becomes the whole market which is what we believe that uh, should happen with the dog food everybody should eat something that's or every, do every dog should eat something that's healthier than what they're doing today yeah 
Um, I totally agree. And on that note of trends, because you actually brought that from America, you mentioned you were in San Francisco to Australia. Um, And so I guess a bit more of a lighthearted question is, uh, I know that you've had a background across multiple countries. Um, Which do you think is a country that's been severely underrated in your travel? Because you you, you often hear people talking about like, oh, um, I want to go to Japan or America. Um, You know, is there any country that you think needs a shout out? that uh, is a beautiful place that people should go to? Uh, there are definitely many. Uh, so it's hard. I think many of the countries that are uh, sort of, uh, or most of the countries that are probably out of the radar, say uh, underdeveloped and therefore the easy of access and uh, flights and the, the uh, local tourism industry might not be as, uh, as good. Uh, many of them or most of them actually are underrated. If I... Um, and that's also because it's a, it's a, the less people that are visiting a certain site, the more likelihood that it is actually more pristine and preserved, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, depends obviously what you're looking for as a tourist. But if I give it to do a, a shout out to one country I have been uh, lived on recently, which is pre-pandemic to recently, so perhaps <laughs> not that recently anymore, uh, is Mongolia. Wow. And um, it's a beautiful country, uh, very still like still very wild. You can still see lots of wildness there. Uh, very interesting, different lifestyle and different, uh, very resilient uh, people living a uh, nomadic life and in a very, it's beautiful, but very hard environment. Uh, so I think does, that country is definitely underrated uh, due to its beauty, to its people, to its different culture. And obviously a very long culture that extends uh, for a millennia now. Mm. Well, building upon that, in what ways do you think your travel experiences to these different countries mm-hmm. actually influence and led to your how you operate in the business environment? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, even more than the business environment, I think all these travels, because I have been doing this for, or I did it for 15 years before uh, settling properly again in Australia, uh, they shaped who I am. So it's more than just... Uh, on the business setting, it set, set me on like on a personal level that obviously translates into the business setting as well. But that makes me, uh, I think, uh, somebody who really is open for different perspectives, is definitely uh, looking for, um, I don't know, there's so many things that can go uh, differently than the way you plan uh, when you're always on different cultures, different places, different countries, different languages. Therefore, you end up being much more flexible and uh, uh, to change plans, to change the way you work, to change the way uh, or to change the way you react to change. <laughs> mm. uh, so that, that's one side. I think the other side is the way I um, work with pe- people with different backgrounds and cultures. Uh, Australia ends up being a very uh, multicultural country. Um, so in particular, just give it like as example, we have uh, uh, over 20 different nationalities across uh, our, our team. Uh, so having had this experience of uh, sort of working in a multicultural environment, actually <laughs> nowadays in some to a lower degree is happening as well inside Laika. Uh, and the previous experience I had, I think it makes me uh, or enables me to work much better with everyone. Yeah, so I think if there was any uh doubt in anyone's mind once the pandemic uh (laughs) eases i think anyone who had doubts about traveling 
please do travel and maybe to Mongolia if you <laughs> yeah. can, uh, have a place to travel to in mind. Um, but yeah, I think just uh, it's a really um, interesting idea that shifted, I think, over the past couple of years, especially, I know, especially in the younger generations, there's much more emphasis placed on self-development and traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it is a shame that we haven't been able to recently, but I know that for me personally, um, uh, when I could travel um, to the couple of countries that I did go to, which was Korea and Japan, um, it was just amazing just to embrace uh, a whole different new culture. Um, you know, different ways of living. It just, it, it really just shows like how, I guess, little we are within the world and how much more there is to explore. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, shout out to anyone who will plan to travel. Um, but as on a different tangent along those lines that, you know, you've said you've had a lot of a background, um, not only working across different countries, but also within different, uh, I guess, workspaces. And one of those work lines that we know of is that you're currently an angel investor, as you've mentioned. Um, and so along those lines, um, as in, as an angel investor, what do you personally look for in a great startup? Yeah. Um, well, I look, I think, broadly in two different things. One is the market and the other is the founding team. And um, uh, to elaborate, the market, I'm looking for uh, a market that is big enough to be uh, scalable. Because obviously, as an angel investor, you're looking for something that has high growth and can become potentially large. Um, and to nuance here, I think it's large on a total market, assuming that 20 years down the road, this can be massive, but also on a sort of a more short-term market as well. The things that, are okay, in the next year or two, uh, we'll be able to uh, reach this sub-segment of the population. And that sub-segment in itself is actually big enough that I can believe that this company, even on the short term, will be able to achieve uh, high growth. Um, which means that while thinking about your startup is not just thinking, okay, the sky's the limit, these are hundreds of billions of dollars of market, but also thinking on the short, small bottom up, okay, these many people can buy this product for this much, that's how many times they buy per year, that's the sort of a uh, short-term market that I believe I can have. Uh, so this bottom-up, uh, have a solid bottom-up view of uh, your next uh, couple of years is very important, that that's also realistic. And on the founding team, uh, there are a few characteristics. Uh, I think the first one is resilience and uh, this willingness to sort of uh, really build something despite all odds and all difficulties that will be the entrepreneurship entrepreneurship, uh, path, because it will be hard. There's no way that's going to be something easy. Uh, So having this conviction that they really want to do what they're doing, uh, it's very important. The second part would be that these uh, founders do know very well their customer, their market, understand, the, as I mentioned before, the underlying trends that are happening in the market, what the customers really need, uh, comparison to what's out there. That's very important, uh, particularly, particularly uh, good if the investor team somehow is a user of that product, or they have been somehow frustrated with that market and decided to take the problems in their own hands somehow 
changing it, uh, which again, you put the parallel to like, I think one of the advantages uh, that uh, Anna particularly has is that well, she's been thinking for this even before she was thinking as a startup, she was thinking about dog nutrition uh, because of our dog that uh, we love, we want to take care for. Uh, so the same analogous might exist in many different ways uh, for founders. Mm. I think building upon that, what are then some common mistakes that you see that some young entrepreneurs or founders make that can actually hinder their success to their business? Mm -hmm. Or what are some good aspects that like good characteristics that they have that can actually create good success for their business? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think there are so many ways that uh, can go wrong, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and I say that just because statistically speaking, right? Like. A, 92% of startups, uh, unfortunately, will fail in some shape mm -hmm. or form. Uh, not to discourage anybody, it's just, just keep trying different ideas and sort of uh, learn from the previous uh, steps. But I think on the, particularly in the early, early stages is uh, founders that sort of uh, think, think that the market's gonna be easy to change, very easy to crack without really talking to customers and understanding what their need mm -hmm. is. And they might think, okay, this company is going to grow very fast. Very think about already when the company is big, that's something I'm excited about doing. Versus uh, really sitting down and getting the uh, the, the problem cracked uh, from the early stages, where it's the hardest. And many founders, or I see some founders uh, already uh, trying to be an entrepreneur because of the glamour or or oh. sort of a. Uh, how fancy it is nowadays to be a CEO or a founder, uh, but already thinking down the road how exciting it's going to be versus uh, really wanting or having a good idea that they personally care about so that they can uh, endure uh, the journey. I think, yeah, definitely. Person like believing in the product yourself is so important mm -hmm. and kind of all the characteristics of major CEOs that um, exist today like Elon Musk or even um, Steve Jobs back in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, building up. Uh, yeah, Edward. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I just had something that I wanted to touch on that um, I think very similar, but like sort of disjointed at the same time. It's like, um, there's like a massive problem in science where, um, you know, scientists have, when they're coming up with a question, they already have the answer in mind, but they're not objectively asking the question and then just trying to follow that. But they, they already have this answer in mind and they're, you know, sort of biasing towards that. And so I think in that same sense towards startups, it's like some startups have that issue that you mentioned, um, Gigi, that, you know, they have the the notion that like oh i'm gonna be my own ceo i'm gonna be self-employed um rather than just focusing on you know that issue and being passionate about that project that they need to be tackling um and so i think it sort of confounds uh everything around them um which is a shame i think yeah a big part of being an entrepreneur is actually having empathy and actually believing and trying to solve a problem for the mads population rather than your own benefit or gain or like there's a lot of money in being an entrepreneur um i yeah, think right. yeah believing in the customer and like actually solving a problem is kind of what leads to successful entrepreneurs rather than um unsuccessful ones yeah uh and so uh, along that um like so you've talked about uh 
you know, like, or we've been talking about the investments that you've been making. Um, and so for you on a personal level, what has been the most uh, successful investment that you've made personally? And that could be either monetarily or it could be philanthropically, um, uh, you know, something that just you knew you were putting out good into the world. Um, yeah. So I guess what has been the most successful investment that you've met, that you've made along those lines? Yeah. Um, well, I think there are, few, again, there are a few, uh, but perhaps I will mention the most, I think the ones I mentioned, I think most rewarding. Uh, so f- for instance, we have invested in uh, Upstreet, which is a, uh, well, Australian uh, Sydney based startup that does uh, fractional shares as uh, loyalty program rewards. And I think that's very uh, fulfilling because these startup, instead of a uh, rewarding customers for their loyalty with say points from a supermarket chain or uh, airline, you get a stock on the, on the company, which is good for the company because the company earns sort of a growth on their stock and, and also good for the customers because we want to uh, get these people to think about long-term investing, value investing and being loyal mm. for a company for the long-term and promote uh, sort of a long-term gains for say complement your super versus what the robin hoods and other day trading <laughs> other setups wants you to sit by day trading and sort of a being on the stock market uh for short-term gain versus long-term uh value uh value building through a for your portfolio that you like the product and you are uh, loyal to it so i think that's uh, very interesting in terms of how they in the next few years they will shape uh the savings of a uh, Australians, Australians and sort of help people uh, on a way that they uh, build long-term uh, value. Another one that I uh, recently invested is uh, UPaged, which is a, a platform uh, that uh, is a marketplace that matches hospitals, um, hospitals and nurses. So nowadays the process to match uh, like f- freelancing or sort of a nurses that will uh, cover specific shifts uh, it's quite uh, non-transparent, not good for the hospitals, nor for the nurses because of uh, uh, the middle, the middle, the middle people, the agencies that do the process. So this uh, page is making this much more uh, simple, less friction. The nurses end up being paid better, more. The hospitals pay less, and they get nurses that are more qualified to the jobs they're looking for, which obviously translates to better care, lower costs for our healthcare systems, and. Uh, uh, in the end, uh, a better service for the people uh, who are in the hospitals while still empowering the nurses uh, to sort of uh, get their careers on their hands and go directly to the hospitals instead of going through uh, an agency, uh, which obviously uh, is, a, is a better solution for everybody then. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. building, building upon that, if as an investor, say if I'm a, um, a founder or an entrepreneur and I have a business and I want to pitch picture to you what are some things you're looking for in order to believe like yes i'm going to invest in this company mm-hmm. uh well i think it goes back to what i mentioned before one is your market is it something that's uh big enough scalable um on those two examples i just gave yes mm-hmm. the markets are uh the the loyalty share programs in australia are huge and globally as well it's very scalable even outside australia on the other 
on the other one, uh, nurses uh, contracting is a huge market, uh, can be expanded between, beyond nurses to other areas, for instance. Uh, so it both classify that. And the other one is the founding team. So again, uh, look at the people who are behind. Uh, are, do they have this sort of resilience and grind that you see they will be able to make this happen? Uh, and second, uh, are they passionate enough for this, uh, about this product, mm -hmm. about this problem? And I'll say, for instance, Zara, the CEO and founder of uh, UPage, she's a nurse herself. She's been uh, working these marketplaces for uh, almost 10 years, sees the problems there, understands it very well, uh, and now is building a product that uh, she's very passionate about, uh, and she knows deeply the industry. Yeah. Well, it yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah sorry uh yeah no it's just you page like it just it sounds like such a wonderful idea like, i didn't even know that this problem existed but the fact mm, that you brought true. this problem forward i'm like wow it needs to be solved and then she's coming up with the solution um yeah I, I think it's just amazing i think it touches upon back what we talked about uh earlier which was that the there is an opportunity for almost anyone to do something different because, you know, with all the technology and all the sort of information that's out there, um, almost anything's possible as long as you're willing to put in the time and the effort. Um, and so, yeah, I think just uh, my last question is just everything that you've sort of touched on has been sort of, I guess, been on the more realistic side of you know, being an investment and uh, also on the side of an investee. Um, and so you have shows out here like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank sort of <laughs> encouraging that, you know, you have to be sort of the next Bill Gates or, um, you know, the next like Amazon, uh, Elon Musk, something of that scale. Otherwise, you know, don't bother with <laughs> starting a startup, right? But you have so many successful much more smaller scale startups um and so what do you think are some common misconceptions within the entrepreneurial ecosystem that um you know that you think should not be there or should be cleared up uh well that's a good question i think on that particular point that you mentioned starting there i think uh between say Elon Musk and uh jeff bezos and uh not to be entrepreneur at all there's a huge space right in some senses we talk about trillions of dollars but if you make a startup that's already uh like not even a unicorn a unicorn it would be even very small compared to what they got but even smaller than that something that's say uh, hundreds of millions or even dozens of millions uh this is true uh, as an attractive proposition that uh, can be something that uh might not be as flashy and famous, but can be rewarding enough that you build a product that say if it's 10 million, even 10 million of revenue, let's say, uh, that's already big enough to mean that it's impacting a lot of people, uh, a lot of customers. Um, and that can be enough motivation to be exciting enough. Uh, different people will have different, uh, let's say risk appetites or uh, ambitions and uh, or interest what they're working on, right? Just because, uh, I, I tend to agree. You cannot get to the same level as Jeff Bezos because there's one Jeff Bezos over, uh, say, six, seven billion people, right? So it's uh, statistically speaking, it's going to be very hard. But um, there's lots of opportunity and lots of different uh, ways to get uh, to a place where it's um, 
uh, rewarding enough uh, for each of you, and every person will be have their uh, their place uh, differently. Another misconception I think is worth touching is uh, that you need to ask for permission or need to get an investor behind you, you need to get someone to help you. Uh, while I think nowadays uh, most startups can be started by by a, a single person, at least at, at to a certain level to make an MVP, uh, a product get out there. All you need is be able to talk to some customers, really understand what they need, and then depend on what the product is, you find other ways to build it. Even if you're not a technical co-founder, you can obviously work with no-code no code startups. Uh, you can get most of these products for free nowadays, connect, patch together different solutions and make something that you can bring to the customer's hands and then let them test and um, rate the rate and keep learning and improving. Uh, and then when you're ready, then you have already some loyal customers, then you can sort of uh, try to raise some money behind it versus what I see many people think, oh, if I had a couple hundred thousand, it'll build something. Uh, but that's sort of a, the wrong mindset of an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur passionate, you'll find a way to build something scrappy, uh, get tested, uh, patch it together. Even if you need to rebuild everything later, uh, doesn't really matter. As long as you prove, prove the concept traction, you've, the other things will come later. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's, no, that's a, very true. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that. And so I think... Um, that's a wonderful note to end on that um, the first thing uh, I think that we've touched on multiple times is that, you know, all the information is out there um, and that, you know, the, if there's any time to um, begin a startup, um, the best time is now, right? In the 21st century right. when, you know, the world is at your fingertips. And I think uh, the second, as you touched on to just, blast through that misconception that you know you have to have a small loan of a million dollars to uh to get through that startup you know you can start from anywhere within your bedroom and so yeah to anyone listening right um you can you can do it that's <laughs> what gg right. says yeah. well thank you thank you gg for joining us today um yeah unfortunately i think this is sums up the episode four and yeah, deeply thank you for joining us today. Um, oh, thank you for after. having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we know we've uh, you know you've taken uh, we've taken a chunk up out of your busy day, um, and so yeah, once again, um, like a wholehearted thank you for joining us, um, and also thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, and so I think that about concludes that. Um, and so we're signing off now. I'm Edward. And I'm Babe. And this was the, this was entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial mindset. mindset. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. -bye.